Welcome to the Independent Dealer Podcast with hosts Luke Godwin and Jeff Watson, a podcast by dealers for dealers. Here we go. Hello, welcome to this episode of the Independent Dealer Podcast brought to you by Buckeye Dealership Consulting. Luke, we have a special guest from your neck of the woods this week, don't we? Yeah, you know, uh, Jack Hannigan. Did I say that right, Jack? You did, you did. Okay, so uh, Jack's down in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, been in business four or five years, something like that. And um, very specialized. And I think this will be a cool episode of uh, what we're doing here. Uh, Jack, say hello to everybody. Hey, everybody. How you doing? <laughs> so, Jack, let's start at the beginning. Uh, what industry did you come from? What got you in the car business? So, going back, we'll go back to high school. Uh, always loved cars, loved four-wheelers, loved anything with an engine, loved taking them apart, loved buying and selling them. And uh, basically, when I was 15, I was offered a 1997 Silverado for $2,000. That was all the money I had at the time for play money. So I bought it and I sold it for $4,500. I remember thinking I scorched the earth. That kind of got that going. So all through um, high school and college, I bought and sold cars. I was actually a historic preservation major at the College of Charleston. I was working for a design firm and found a warehouse near my house for lease, realized it could be zoned for this and kind of dove in head first, had no idea what I was doing, never worked in a dealership, didn't know. I remember the first car I bought at Mannheim. I didn't know how to get the car out. I didn't know how to pay for it. I remember my, you know, just feeling like I was going to throw up after I won the bid on Simulcast. And then that just, you know, fueled the, I, uh, the fury. I still feel the same way. Every time I win a bid on Simulcast, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to throw up. Like, what, oh, did God, do, what, what did I do? What did I do? <laughs> I'm the last idiot. Yeah. yeah, especially right now. Especially right now. Yeah. Um, that's that's interesting, Jack. And, and I think originally when you first started, you really had a uh, – uh, you like Mercedes and, and higher end cars. You, you still, I mean, is that still part of your, uh, definitely. your jam? So, yeah, definitely. So, you know, the, the first car I ever bought that car I was just talking about was a 2010 Mercedes GLK out of Mannheim, Fort Lauderdale. I'll never forget it. Um, and so for two or three years, I did a few classic Mercedes cause I knew them really well, but my main bread and butter up to COVID was off lease Mercedes. Um, I was using Mercedes Benz on demand, which some of our listeners may know about. Oh, yeah. But I'd get on there and I'd buy GLEs, C300, cars that were under warranty and that didn't need much recon. And then I'd buy some that did because I could take the time to find the random little pieces on eBay and stuff. Um, so, yeah, that was my main thing. And, you know, prior to COVID, I was selling just me doing, I was doing like 120 to 130 a year, um, which is very small. But for me, it was huge and uh, it was a lot. Well, in a single, you know, if it's just you and your, yeah. and your overhead load, selling 10 a month is great, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was. And it was, uh, you know, the first year it, I, I opened in an October. I think I sold four cars during that two month, two or three month period. I didn't really make any money, but I was learning and I had to learn quick because I didn't know what a, uh, I didn't know any of these words, PSI. I mean, all the, you know, the stuff that we now know is so normal having a dealer software. So it was, it was learning quickly. And uh, it's like I say, every time I lose money, I, I call it paying for car school because I learn best when I touch the stove. So, you know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's, that's interesting. Did you, um, 
because the the whole aspect of a warehouse dealership that, that's fairly new. Did you know that's what you want to do initially, or or did it is it is? And um, you know, I'm 29, so I'm a millennial, but I saw how many people were going online. It's personally, I would go online and look for a car, and I'd go on Auto Trader, I'd go 500 miles out, and I was calling on cars. So I realized that I didn't need a Charleston real estate on a main thoroughfare is astronomical. I could never afford it. So the warehouse thing was nice because it's by appointment. So I could be flexible and uh, yeah, it worked out. And I think they're getting a little bit tighter on that, you know, as far as allowing that, but hopefully I'm grandfathered in or something. <laughs> hopefully with, uh, with Charleston. Then, so are you still selling a good many of the Mercedes and, and higher end cars? So, so COVID hit, and like everyone who's listening to this knows the uh, inventory went like this and no sale, no sale, no sale. And then suddenly, you know, everything was selling MMR over, over, over. So I kind of pivoted um, during COVID. I sold a few cars on Bring a Trailer and did fairly well. And I kind of just had a wake up call. It's like, this is what I really like. I like old stuff. You know, it takes a lot more effort and a lot more recon, and a lot more specialty stuff takes a lot longer to get listed, but I like it. And that's all I'm doing now. hundred percent, no retail sales, just bring a trailer and the occasional eBay. Well, I mean, I've seen some of the things you've, you've run on there and uh, I'm sure your grosses on there are a little bit better than, uh, <laughs> than the other. It is, it is. And uh, you know, some you hope for something and you don't get it. And then some you hope for something you get way above it. So mm. it's like everything there's, there's mediums to it. How did you know? I mean, how do you, it seems like pivoting like that is uh, you, you're going up against guys that have been doing it for a couple decades. And if you're specializing yeah. in say Mercedes still, you've got these guys that are just like, they eat, sleep, drink, and breathe it for the last 50 years of their life. And you're trying to battle against them to not only source these from private parties or auctions, but also know yeah. what it's going to bring on the open market. How does that learning curve happen? Where, where are you getting that knowledge? Well, so I did this always as a hobby with classic Mercedes doing kind of, I wouldn't say restoration, but making them nicer. And, uh, you know, what I realized on bring a trailer, it's all about the seller. It's all about, you know, how their vibe, how happy they are. You know, if they start to smell blood, the trolls will, will eat you up like a shark. So you have to mm -hmm. learn to answer the questions. You need to have the answers. Um, but yeah, that pivot was just, I don't really know how it happened. I just suddenly had a bunch of old Mercedes. You know, I just started looking for them. Yeah. And how, and how you know, I don't want you to give away any of your secrets, but, but we know that uh, giving away secrets, uh, nobody ever uses them anyway. So um, <laughs> how, I mean, what's your primary way of sourcing? I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of money in so, Charleston. There's, yeah. there's a lot of those cars around. Is that your main focus? So I truthfully... I probably source 90% of my stuff out of state. So one thing I did do during COVID is I canceled my auto trader. I had car gurus. I had auto trader. I had cars.com. And then I had one other lead source generator. So I was paying all those guys monthly. Mm -hmm. So I canceled all that. And I said, I'm going to take my money and put it into local advertising, Facebook targeted ads, you know, and I just put some pictures of older Porsche, older Mercedes. And I said, I buy classic cars. Um, I've got a Silverado that I use for random stuff. And I have a big sticker on the rear windshield that says I buy classic cars. So a lot of that, and then a lot of word of mouth, but I, mm. definitely not needing that auto trader, not needing that cars.com. 
allowed that money to go towards <clears throat> other advertising. Let's, uh, and, let's and sit on Craigslist and Facebook and eBay and Hemmings for 10 hours a day. <laughs> yeah. So what, um, what was the first car you got listed on bring a trailer? Kind of walk us through that and that first yeah. experience and how, how it worked. So the first car was um, actually as I was starting my dealership and I needed to sell it to fund the dealership. And it was a 72 Mercedes and bring a trailer was a little bit um, a little bit easier and they weren't as popular then. So, you you know, you'd submit a car and it would get listed in two or three weeks. Right now, it's about six to eight weeks and I don't get any. What? Yeah, it's six to eight. I don't understand how this website works. I don't even think it exists in Utah, but yeah. what it, it's you're telling amazing. me you so, send a car to these people and it no, takes no, no, 60 no, no, no. weeks for them to so, so what happens put it live. Is, so say you have an 89 Mercedes 560 SL. So you go in to bring a trailer, you could, you'd hit submit a vehicle, you put the van, you put the history, original paintwork. They, they send you through a bunch of questions yeah. and then they ask for a picture of the title. Um, you know, they usually want videos and photos wow. and that kind of stuff. So it is pretty detailed. Um, and I will say, you know, based on their popularity right now, they're probably turning down. I don't know. I don't probably have any right to be saying this, but I think they're turning down a lot of cars. Hmm. Um, so what I quickly have learned is if you're going to submit a car and bring a trailer for people who are listening, if you're going to do it, don't half ass it. Mm. get really killer photos, really good videos, detail it way more than you think you need to, um, and have the car hundred percent ready because if it's not ready, it's, yeah. uh, yeah, you get fed to the sharks. What, uh, kind of, how many pictures are you submitting? Um, I think I'm at probably around hundred to 150 a car. And then what I also like to do, and this is just me, I put up paint meter reading photos. I do a cold start video a walk around video showing interior exterior. And then I do um, a driving video with a GoPro. How long do you figure it takes you to put that together, that package to, to submit? A, a long time that, you know, between detailing aside, you know, the photo aspect of it and then uploading the photos and making sure they're the right ones. That's probably four to five hours and then the videos maybe another three hours so maybe eight or so hours spent on that and i wait for the lighting to be right like today would be a bad day for it i'm just really ocd about stuff and i think that makes a difference on the sale for sure i know uh we send cars a classic car auction and we are i don't really deal with any of the mercedes and and uh cars of that nature it's just not we don't know those that stuff so um, what I like about classic car auction, we get it ready and sometimes they're not hundred percent ready and you can see the difference in what they bring. And sometimes they're, they're ready, ready. But yeah, all I do is I put them on a truck and I send them a classic car auction, which is, yeah. which is to me a lot easier, uh, but well, I probably don't get the gross that you get on there. You know, the one thing, a nice thing about the bring a trailer is I love meeting the people I sell the cars to. I've never met them in person. Every car gets shipped out of state, but they're always good connections. But the good thing is I pay $99 to list the car and that, that's it. That's, that's, that's a good problem because I've had some, uh, some cars at classic car auction that cost me $6,000, $7,000 to sell it, which is, you know, is a big number. 10, so yeah, 10 or 15% and then, you know, transporting the car there and stuff. So 
I kind of, I, I enjoy it. And, you know, frankly, the six weeks gives me time. Sometimes, you know, sometimes I'll get the car ready, photographed, detailed and submitted. And then I'll go have the services done, have the tires done. So it gives me some time being one person. Hmm. That's just surprises me. You know, I guess in a classic car, it's, it's only going up in price over those six weeks and not necessarily down, hopefully, huh? Yeah, right now. I mean, you know, truthfully, there's some cars that I've sold on Bring a Trailer just four or five months ago that I think now are probably worth ten to fifteen thousand dollars more yeah. than uh, than they well, sold for. And at the time, they were sold, and I was like, "Whoa, yeah. that, that's yeah. strong." Now it's oh, yeah. I've yeah. got a I've got a 2010 Ford Fiesta that has the same story. So <laughs> yeah, I think that's yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Luckily, that's the case with everything. But but that that, that is super interesting to me. Um, the, it sounds like you would have to sit on a handful of, you know, money or flooring line, things like that. Do you ever get, you know, you buy into something. It seems like that would eat me alive if I had to sit six weeks knowing that I either, maybe I know I paid too much and I'm putting right. it on there and I'm not sure. I mean, I've got so some cars that give me anxiety and I, they're like, I got to have this thing gone by Friday. Cause I just don't want to look at it anymore. Like, yeah. How do you well, deal with that? I, I, well, so the way I deal with that and trust me, I buy a lot of cars sight unseen and I kind of roll the dice mm. there. are I probably get, you know, out of every 10 cars, maybe two or three that I just instantly kick somewhere, mm. whether it's a buddy or a friend, because, you know, it's still a good deal and there's money to be made, but it's not worth waiting six or eight weeks, you know. Okay. Um, so luckily, I've been pretty lucky in that sense that I haven't gotten a total dog. But, you know, it'll happen. Jack, how do you, um, you know, I, the reason we've been successful a lot of times in the classic car auction genre is because my dad grew up during the era of muscle cars that were selling. OK, so he can remember when the car was new. My grandfather was a Ford dealer when the car was new. So we have a lot of information already that he's, he's obtained over the years. We've probably owned 150 classic Mustangs. We, we know that. We know the Broncos. We know the F-150s. We know those things. How can someone who didn't grow up during that and doesn't have that knowledge, how do you gain that information uh, on the cars you're listing? I, you know, so that's a good point. And that's one thing I'll say is I specialize in older Mercedes because I really know those cars. I can look at one and say, that's the wrong deck lid or that's the, the wrong handle. That's the wrong clamp. But I've learned just, for example, I just bought a 67 Mercedes 230 SL. I've always loved that generation of car, but I didn't know much about them. Well, I quickly learned that I paid too much for the car and this will be, a, <laughs> but this will be a good way for me to learn in the future what to look for down to little things like having the correct fender welds, um, mm. having the right textured dash pad. And if it's incorrect, the guys lose their mind on it. So <laughs> I, I try to stay really safe on the stuff I know. And the reason I know those cars is because I've owned them over the years. I'm on the forums. I'm on YouTube. Um, I look at other bring a trailer auctions. So I've learned those cars, but, for example, I bought a Chevelle SS. This was before I was a dealer and I was a that's something. Car. That's something I know. So. <laughs> it was it was the 66, it was a 138 code, it was butternut. It was it was the real deal. But I had a guy come look at it from a Chevelle form I put it on. He said that the markings on the control arms aren't right. And you know, it's little things like he goes, and that's been switched from that. Little stuff that you look at and you go, that's a beautiful car and it's perfect. But those things are a ten or $15,000 swing yeah. in value. So I'm, I, you know, 
I try to stay in my lane and stay with what I know. And I know there's guys who know everything about every single car. I don't see how you can, but for now I try to stay safe because I mean, you really have to, like, you've got to say, I'm only going to deal with Mercedes in the 1960 to 1970 era. And yeah. I'm only maybe even going to stick with this, these couple models because it's infinite. I mean, it's just, it, it, you cannot know everything about every classic car. Exactly. And if you try, I imagine, I mean, it's like dealers, right? I'm a buy here, pay here dealer. And the second I start stepping out of my realm of what is a good buy here, pay here car, that's when yeah. I get my hand slapped and I lose and, and, money because I'm trying to like be everything to everyone. Right. And, and to your point about just sending cars to collector car auctions, that's a great way to make good money and the good thing about it is you know that car is available for one day for a preview and then it runs across the block for 45 seconds yeah. well on bring trailer your car's up there for seven days and <laughs> frankly some of the people that are on there they're in their parents basement and they're looking through every photo can't so afford you, nothing yeah they'll go they'll go and in, in photo number 78 it appears that the uh the trim has been replaced. Can you confirm if that's an OEM part? I mean, you mm. have got to have an ironclad vehicle and you've got to know what you're doing. If not, I just watched a car yesterday. It was a 280 SE and the guy bought it on bring a trailer for $28,000 a year ago. And he put about $7,000 more in it in the auction. So he relisted it, enjoyed it for a year, relisted it. in the auctions. The people came out of the woodwork noting every little thing the seat belt anchors were incorrect he lost about fifteen thousand dollars on that car because you know you make money on the buy of course but because those trolls came out i That's, better not say trolls I've, <laughs> yeah I've got, I've got this written down trolls on bat so yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah, oh, yeah, that's why I, I, you know, they have no intention everywhere. of buying they have they yeah. don't have the money and they have no intention of buying it they just want to tear yeah. it up to prove yeah, how it, smart they are <clears throat> exactly. And, and and there's no doubt about it. These guys are absolute knowledge mills. I mean, if you look at some of the air-cooled Porsche, I would never list an air-cooled Porsche on there because there's just no way. I mean, these guys know so much little minute stuff that it does mm. matter. The stuff they're pointing out does matter. But unfortunately, you will see a lot of guys, they'll have zero. They'll, you know, it shows you when you click on a username, they'll say they bought X amount of cars. They bid on this <laughs> They'll have zero mm. bids and they'll have 8,000 comments. And yeah. you do get a lot of guys who don't really know and they can screw an auction up by going um, those whole, for example, I had a 560 SL and they drill in the rear, uh, the rear fascia for the European tail or the European license plate and the American license plate. So there's, there's eight holes on the rear. And he said, unfortunately, this car appears to have been drilled. This is a common mistake and should never be done as it can cause rust. And I had three other 560 SLs. I said, that's on every single car that's original. But if a seller was not knowing that, he might have said, oh, I'm sorry. And then people read that. And it can ruin your auction. Yeah. So, you know, that actually happens at classic car auctions, too. Um, you know, you'll go out there and, and somebody be checking your car out. And, they'll, and they don't know that you're the owner. And they'll start talking about your car. And they'll say, well, you know, this car has been this is done to it. And, it, and then finally, you just got to go stop. You don't know what you're talking about. I've <laughs> right. Ton, you know, I've had tons of these cars or, you know, I've done it to people too. Like they're advertising a GT Mustang as a GT Mustang and I crawl up underneath it because there's three or four specific 
uh, you know, bolt holes, it has to be a GT. And I go, ah, that car's not a GT. And they go, yeah, it is. I bought, I bought it as a GT. Said, ah, you got screwed. Yeah, but you paid you know, for it. You didn't get a GT. But yeah, so exactly. there's, there's definitely there. I, I use the word trolls endearingly. It's not, you know, horrible <laughs> flight to them. But there's definitely some really great information on there. I mean, stuff you would never know that you should know. And then there's guys that just sit on there trying to comment on everything. And some people really get off on derailing an auction. I mean, you know, it really, you can tell they, they went there, they came, they saw, they conquered, and they pointed out everything wrong with your car. <laughs> hey guys, sorry for the interruption in the podcast, uh, but we need to talk about Buckeye Dealership Consulting uh, there, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, the great sponsor of the podcast, great guys over there uh, for your reinsurance needs. So whether you uh, buy here, pay here, a retail lot, um, I'm sure if you're selling classic cars on Bring a Trailer, there's probably some opportunity yeah. to reinsure there as well. So I, I would assume so because there's uh, there's always a chance to reinsure a risk that your dealership's taking, and that's what Buckeye Dealership Consultant wants to wants to let you know. Uh, you know they they have all kind of products from uh, PSI to VSI, CPI guys and gals to build wealth in this industry and to do it the right way. Reinsurance is the only way. And these guys can help you out there. Right, Jeff? Yep. Yeah. Talk to Buckeye and uh, now back to the podcast. So what I find is interesting, Jack and and Luke, we've talked about this before, but we say, we say this all the time. Like if I were to start another dealership right now, maybe with my, the one I have or a side project, I would do a very specific dealership. And, And that's what I think is really cool here, Jack. You found a niche and you found money inside of that niche, you know, like I may do uh, an electric vehicle only dealership, or I might do a Jeep only dealership, or I might do a Mustang or a Corvette only dealership because you're becoming valuable to that group of people. You know, you're not going to be everything to everyone. And I find that super interesting how, when you become that expert, man, there's still a lot of money in those tiny, tiny little niches. There, There are, and there's so many of them. And I'll tell you, once I get on something, like I just sold a bunch of really low mileage Silverado Z71s. And, uh, you know, once I learn them, I'll start buying them. And one thing I did in college is I bought and sold a lot of low mileage uh, Crown Victoria police interceptors. Oh, yeah. Mm. So, so I would find them with, you know, 10, 15,000 miles and buy them and put them on eBay. And they sold like crazy and the margins yeah. were huge. Um, so I've always enjoyed those little weird niche stuff that you're like really someone's into that you know but they're out there you just got to find them and then you got to know them i I found that about really low mileage cars is and this is for everybody no matter what type of car it is if it's super low mile and it's got a story behind it that car usually makes money right jack someone wants it the stuff that you're like why would someone (laughs) want a low mileage eagle talent you know some there's somebody out there and they want it and they want it bad. I just sold a, a 4,200 mile F-150 and it's going to Australia. And this guy has a warehouse full of low mileage eighties trucks and he had to have it. So that's, that's interesting. How many, uh, how many countries have you sold to Jack? Um, just in the past few months, I sold a, a, a W111 Mercedes coupe to Sweden. Sorry, I'm getting a phone call. Let me ignore it. Uh, to Sweden, I sold a, uh, a 56 Plymouth to Norway, I think it was. And then that one's going to Australia. So hmm. over the years, a lot of countries. And, you know, truthfully, I, usually those are the cars I don't make much money on for some reason. I don't know why, but 
it's nice to see him leave. <laughs> I, I, I've sold, I've sold it. So back in, I think, thinking like oh four. So we started selling a lot of cars on eBay, and it was just interesting to see the market and how it was evolving. And I really wish I wouldn't have stopped. Um, and I, I just didn't have enough time. Like Jeff says, you can't be everything to everybody. And what I should have done was open something like you had on the side and, and did that. Um, you probably, you weren't selling cars back then, but what has changed from the eBay form of selling cars? Cause you said you were selling cars on eBay to the, to the BAT. What is, what is, is it the comments on the photos? What else is there that that's different? One of the really nice thing about bring a trailer sales, if somebody bids it, they're buying it. I mean, I think there's sales. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, you know, eBay, I think I read somewhere their sale follow through is like under 60%. I believe on that. Cars. Mm. And I bring a trailers is above 98%, if not 99 point something. So everyone who's on there is the real deal. You know, they don't, just go dark or say, you know, my mother told me I couldn't buy, you know, they buy it. Another thing, bring a trailer charges the fee to their credit card the minute the auction closes and they are not getting that fee back if they don't follow through. So that's, that's huge. Really good. I, I was so frustrated about that on eBay so many times where I sold cars and, and just never, the people ghosted. They've been in the last second and then ghost you and that's just horrible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had it happen to me three times on a car this year that I didn't want to send to bring a trailer. Three times. I mean, not a good batting average. You, are you still selling cars on eBay then? Yeah, occasionally. Like I said, some of the ones that I don't feel like waiting on bring a trailer, I get the car in and I go, this is not something I'm going to put on bring a trailer because it's not going to do well with the crowd. I will send to eBay and, you know, occasionally get a good experience but they're few and far between you uh are you helping anybody with financing on these are these some people that are having to finance or is this really just like uh, bring a check bring a trailer yeah. bring a check bring, bring a check a, bring a bring, check bring, yeah bring a trailer bring a grocery bag of money no they're um every seller that, or every uh buyer that i've sold to pays cash and i will say that the buyers on bring a trailer are extremely wealthy um, I always Google my buyers just because it's fun to see ah, where it's going. Um, so, Jack, let me ask you that. So I think a lot of people are scared of this, you know, sell a car, ship it across the country, ship it internationally. <laughs> Give us just real quick your like uh, litmus test for taking. Does bring a trailer facilitate payments or do you have they to don't. buy it? Everything out has to be done outside of it. So you're taking wire transfers. I mean, when you say cash, these people aren't they're not FedExing you a box of cash. No, and that, and I will only take wires. You know, there's just too many yeah. uh, cash check scams going on right now. So, um, I would say more than fifty percent of the cars I sell to the buyer has an LLC set up for their collection, mm-hmm. and they'll just send me a wire, and then I send them the paperwork, and they get it notarized, which is something I've started implementing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they sign the paperwork and send it back and set up transportation. So it's, I've never had issues. So when you say do a wire, you're you're taking this random person who just won your bid. You're giving them your routing number and your checking number, yeah. and saying well, wire me my money. We have we have a special account for wires. Yep. That's what you got to do. Yeah. Okay, that, that, so you have like a zero like, balance account for wires. Yes, it's like yeah, it's like a clearing account. So okay. um, th- that and you know before I send them that, they send me copies of their driver's license or the business license. 
Um, so, you know, I do a little bit of Googling and stuff, but yeah, I mean, some of the people that have bought cars in there are billionaires that I've had a few on there that are very, very, very wealthy. And, you know, if they want it, they buy it and their secretary yeah. takes pretty crazy. I mean, it's definitely amazing. Did and you, that's it. Do you develop those relationship as now in your Rolodex of like, Hey, I know you're interested in Mercedes of this year. I'm going to contact so you the next time I have one. Yeah, sort of. And a lot of people who bought cars have said, hey, I'm looking for this. And I've got a freaking notebook on my desk of people's names and what they're looking for. And, mm. um, you know, so I, I have some people that I've made good friendships with off of Bring a Trailer. And then I've had some people that they've sent a wire and I've never talked to them or that's <laughs> been a secondary situation. So yeah. those are not new. I mean, it's, you know. It seems like that's the ultimate uh, kind of uh pinnacle of this of this avenue you're in is becoming the, the you know just having that rolodex of people where you know exactly where to offload a car the second you buy yeah. it and who to call and you know yeah and it's it's nice because you know with bring a trailer the the buyer has seven days to do their due diligence um you know and i provide pictures of any flaws i'll put a picture up with my finger pointing to it do the paint meter reading so that's another thing is i learned I mean, you know, when I was in high school, when I would flip cars, it wasn't always 100% honesty. You know, there was, right. a, you know, and it, I quickly learned within like two or three cars, like not worth it. So I either fix everything I can. I mean, everything to like some people are like that doesn't yeah. need to be done. Like, do it or just disclose, disclose, disclose. Because then when they get the car, everybody's happy. Um, yeah. That's one thing I've, I've always wanted. First the first car I ever sold on eBay, never forget this y'all. Um, it was, I'm sorry. It was the third car. First car I ever sold was a, like a 92 or so Volvo station wagon. Um, Those were hot. <laughs> yeah, they were hot back then. And, um, the next one, I can't remember what it was, but the, the third, I think it was the third car was a sob and, uh, you know, sobs in South Carolina, nobody wants them and nobody may want them anywhere anymore. But, um, <laughs> so this guy, this guy drives up from Atlanta, I think, and he gets here and he tears the car apart. I mean, he was the oh, yeah. ultimate sob buyer and just berated me on how I had listed the car. And back then, as I recall, you can only put about 25, maybe 30 pictures on eBay. It may not even been that many, it may have been 16. I think it was, I think it probably was 10 or 15. Yeah. The guy just tore me huh. up. And I and I was just like what you're talking about. Right then I said, you've got to be, you've got to over-describe everything you're doing. And that's the only way this is ever going to work. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I've had, so since I started my dealership, I've always strived for five stars. And there have been times where I've given people concessions where on like yeah. some of our dealer groups, I've said, what would you do? And everyone says, tell them to go F themselves. Yeah. No. But I've always been about, you know, even if they're wrong, if it costs me $500,000, I will do it just to keep people happy. And one of the first bring a trailer sales I had, I sold a car to a guy and I could kind of feel the energy that it was going to be a headache. And he got the car and started complaining. I said, I'll, I'll buy the car back plus your transport, plus whatever else you paid, plus your fees and everything. And he didn't want to do it. And it became a nightmare hmm. and he wouldn't sign a, a repair agreement, which I learned about through one of the groups. I mean, I can't tell you how much of this business I learned from these Facebook groups. Um, 
you know, down to just the smallest little thing. So I have had one deal like that and you try to cut them loose and you'd offer them above and beyond. They still won't take it. I mean, what do you do? You get what? a bad review from it. So yeah, Jack, what, what happens when you offer, cause I've had this, I've had this happen before offer to buy the car back plus transportation and they don't want to do that. Is that, is that someone just being, you know, I mean, what, what's going I, on there? That, that, that's the one time I've ever had a, a real upset customer and that everyone else, I've never had a bad review. I had one fake one. I don't know who did it, but I tried everything. And so we eventually came to an agreement and he had found some rust under a spare tire that was hidden under a compartment. It's something I would have disclosed because I would have disclosed it or I had somebody fix it. It was a $300 thing. So he got a body shop quote for $800, which I thought was absurd. And it was, uh, it was in Ohio and it needed to be flatbedded. So I said, let's flatbed it so it doesn't rust or whatever. And I said, and I'll pay you $300 for your time. So I was offering him $1,500, mm. just signed the goodwill agreement. He wouldn't do it. And this same guy tried to buy the car back. So eventually I just said, you know, I just said, listen, I can't make everyone happy all the time. So cut my, cut my losses and just kind of moved on. It still bugs me to this day, but I mean, I don't, I wouldn't change how I handled it. That's for sure. You know, what I find is so interesting. I was laying in bed last night, actually thinking about this and there, we, we all have these, these auctions, right? Well, what, what made me start thinking about it was these middlemen, right? There's a lot of middleman uh, wholesalers, right? They buy from one dealership and they, they run it to the auction and flip it and they've made great money doing it. But as technology evolves, it's starting to cut out the middleman and not only, I mean, the wholesalers, but technically it could cut out us dealers at some point. Right. Right. Um, yeah. But, but what's evolved is these auctions, right? Like ACV and back lots and things like that, that are now trying to go dealer to dealer. You know, they're trying to cut out that wholesaler and just say, Hey, I can list something at my lot here at my dealership and sell it directly to use and, and use this, uh, you know, ACV as a middleman. It, it sounds interesting to me that if you had something like BAT for dealers, you know, what BAT is just a very, very uh, strongly vetted group of buyers and sellers, right? Mm -hmm. It's really hard to get in. It's once you're in, you don't want to get kicked out. Like yeah. if you had a platform like that, that was a dealer to dealer platform where it's like, you know, like, uh, you know, you had all these very specific requirements and it's like, it's only the best of the best. And once you get in as a seller, you do everything to keep your reputation. And once you get in as a buyer, you do everything to keep your reputation and stay in there. That would be a super interesting kind of organic type website to set up where dealers can sell to other dealers. And it's a like complete above board on your honor type network. Yeah. And, and to your point about vetted sellers, it's kind of, you know, not to sound cocky, but I have a little bit of a reputation on bring a trailer where I feel like if I put a certain car on there, it'll bring more than most sellers would be able to sell for it. And to put it in, you know, the terms that people understand, it's like when you're buying a car from Robert Holland's head, you're willing to pay a little bit more from a car that's coming from his lane than one that's coming from so-and-so used car lot in the middle of nowhere. You know, you just get a little bit more comfort knowing that, you know, someone's going to stand behind it um, mm. in that sense. Talking about, you know, who you're buying from and what you're buying. Yeah, and I mean, he's you're exactly right because he, you know, he developed that over the years, and that's the reason he is who he is, which is you know, and, and that's kind of how it is on the retail side. You know, the yeah. reason the reason we can still do business because we've been doing it the same way thirty five years, and, and we do it the right way. 
and and it's and what dealers need to understand is it it builds on itself, right? So Jack, when you started and you had to front that guy the money on that bad buy or the bad sell, it was probably hard for you to be like, okay, I'm going to make nothing on this car, but what I'm doing is investing in my future. And I think what you know the bad dealers in the community do is they're looking to take advantage of everyone. They're not looking to give anything. And then it's just this slowly kind of downward spiral of their dealership where a bad reputation, and then they start having to cheap sell stuff just to get it out. Then they don't yeah. make money and then they get a bad reputation. Whereas someone like you, you're like, I'm going to spend some money to keep my reputation good, which actually in the long run is going to make me more money. And same with Luke, yeah. his dealership has a reputation where like he can charge a premium because people want to buy from him because they know the car is going to be you know, so it's kind of that upward. Yeah. And I think, you know, if somebody was new listening to this podcast, thinking about starting a dealer's never done it, try to make everyone happy. You'll never do it. But boy, if you try, it goes such a long way. And I, I look at it from a retail standpoint. I just bought a car for myself personally and everything in the auction was super high. And, you know, I was calling around dealerships all over the country and I'd look at their Google reviews. And if their Google reviews were in the can, I wouldn't even call on it just because, no. You know, and that's enough. And I like to think that I still think as a consumer, even though I'm a dealer, I mean, those good reviews are worth their weight in gold. I mean, fight for them if you can. If it's a $300 alternator, my God, do it. <laughs> that's, you know, it, it's something to be said also. And, and uh, to go down this rabbit hole, but it, there's something to be said about making sure when you open up a business that you're capitalized properly to make be able to make those decisions. Because if you're not, if you go out and and you don't have the money, it's hard for you to be able to help people. But the problem is, is if you don't make those right decisions up front, you're never going to make it. And, and that, you know, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, uh, it's what, worth um, it. Jack, is there, are you seeing another course of that, like another trend that you, that you want to get into another car? Maybe you want to start focusing on, uh, do you, do you see something coming up? You know, I don't, um, I try to keep my eyes open trying to find stuff. And, you know, it's so funny because I see a lot in the car groups. They go, man, these Acura NSXs are really on fire right now. And going back to your point, it's like, yeah, my 99 Crown Victoria is on. Everything is on fire. I mean, every ass muscle cars, <laughs> Japanese cars, hybrids, everything is through the roof. So I do think a lot of guys on Bring a Trailer right now are buying cars hedging against inflation. I think a lot of people are, mm. you know, like, your money in the bank right now is losing every week. It seems like, um, so I think a lot of people are buying cars, uh, classic cars to hedge against that in cause they're fun. COVID. Yeah. I think a lot of people who are COVID were bored, bought projects and <laughs> hopefully that'll keep going. Yeah. What's that tipping point, Luke, where I hold on to a car long enough that it actually starts appreciating. Cause I've got some well, of these out here that I've had for a minute or two, but I'm just hoping that I hit the bottom of that, well, that thing and start hey, going back up. In 20 years, that, that 03 Honda Accord is good. Somebody's going to want that. <laughs> I promise you. So, yeah, but, you, but what was, I mean, what's interesting is in the last two months, we've seen 17% uh, consumer index pricing increase um, from the automotive uh, used automotive side. So, uh, we've never seen this before, and I would I would probably argue within the last four months we've seen close to a thirty percent increase um, in consumer price index. So, what we're seeing right now is not going to continue, and it's not going to be here forever. So, uh, no. you know, we got to figure out how to make money yeah. the right way. 
I mean, I'll never forget being in the group and, and learning and reading your post. And thank you so much for all the questions you answered because, you know, that <laughs> stuff it. means a lot to me. And there's a lot of guys in the group who answered my questions. You know, there's a lot of those groups you ask a question and they're like, really? You know, you just get roasted. And I'm like, but there's a lot of people in that group that made a big difference in my life. And that stuff sounds cheesy, but it means a lot. And uh, yeah, so definitely thank you for all that. Well, we, we appreciate that. And we're hopefully uh, putting these things out here like this. You're out there helping somebody now. So that's, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. Right, Jeff? Yep. Yep. All awesome, right. Oh, Jack. Well, yep. Hey, appreciate your time. This has been super, uh, super informational. I, I, uh, it does make me realize then like there's those niches that stay in your lane. Don't, don't get too excited by the shiny pennies. Cause you know, uh, that's sometimes when you can get hurt, man. So it's, yeah. It's yeah. Jeff, get for on, all of us. Get on get on bring a trailer and check it out it's a great website and some of the stuff on there is just so cool and it's anything from million dollar ferraris to like a a saturn a 2001 saturn with 140 miles that somebody found so it's yeah, every that they still want a million dollars for and you know that's the stuff that i like i like a 4200 mile ford f-150 from the 80s a newer ferrari oh. i don't doesn't do anything yeah. Yeah. you know and just to, I, I don't want to prolong this because i know we were wrapping it up but where like is this not dying? How can these still be out there? It just blows my mind that someone's like, oh, I just happen to have this 1980 F-150 sitting in my barn and it's got 100 original miles. Like, how is that even? I just don't get what rocks are these cars sitting under. I've seen I just it. don't get it. It's crazy. And especially now, the, everything's bringing so much money. A lot of it's coming out of the woodwork. We were like, yeah. that was the time to sell. Hmm. Um but yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a good point. I could see an upswing in used cars. They've been sitting on dad's Mustang forever, thinking that it's only worth, you know, $5,000. And then they stick their head in the forums and find out it's worth 20. Yeah. And, and maybe it changes things for them. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of people, it's somebody put in one of the groups the other day talking about classic cars as investment pieces. And somebody was talking about, a, a, I think it was a Grand National and how it sold for 140000 But then somebody did the math. If you took the money from the Grand National and put it on and like the NASDAQ or something, you'd be worth, you know, five or 10 million, something crazy. Yeah, so, yeah that's it's You know, collecting classic cars really is fun. There's, you know, there's a little bit of investing there, but uh, I, yeah, we've had cars that's appreciated a lot that we've had them, but for five years. But then when I think about, well, if I'd have had that in the market, the return, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. you'd bought Dogecoin with it, right? <laughs> yeah, the one-off nonsense. Right. So tell me this: Do you ever have an ethical issue? And, and again, I started to keep dragging this out, but when you show up to that old lady's house and she is selling her granddad's whatever, and she had it listed at like five grand, and you know you're about to turn this thing for twenty-five on BAT. Do you ever have like an ethical thing where it's like, sweetheart, I can't give you five grand for this. I got to give you 10. You have no so, idea what you have. <laughs> I just can't take advantage I, of you. I, that's an interesting, that's an interesting idea. I'll try that next time. But <laughs> you know, one thing I've learned, there's two things. Well, somebody, a friend of mine told me when I first started, he said, profit's not a bad word, you know, so don't feel bad about making profit. But I'll tell you, if, if I see a good buy, I don't have, I don't yeah. haggle. I mean, right. if, if the money's there, even if they're a little over and it's an easy deal, just do it. You know, yeah. I don't, you know, it's like, I, I try to watch pennies when I can, but I've gotten to the point where it's like, let's just do it and do it right. So, 
Um, yeah. I haven't had any of those situations though, where I, where I feel really bad. I will say I drive a Lincoln town car when I go <laughs> look at cars. Uh, I did daily and drive an S class. I drive a Genesis G90, but my going and looking at cars vehicle is a Lincoln town car. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. oh, All right. Well, Jack, thanks for being here, man. We learned a lot today. Thank you guys. Yeah, this is awesome. I love this. So glad you joined us. Please take a minute to leave us a review and share this podcast with a friend. The Independent Dealer Podcast. Dealers helping dealers.